Yeah, yeah. I would say I'm definitely most interested in the worthless areas. Yeah. yeah. say that i was gonna call you <laughs> the guy with the car the state-funded race car no no the 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 guy's so smart he went to high school and college <laughs> oh whatever <laughs> all right so today i'm talking to my friend mark uh prada can i say your name yeah sure go okay. for it mark prada and what's your firm uh prada urizar or prada urizar dude you're a partner now yeah, I have a... Holy shit, like congratulations, years. dude. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah, dude, I opened a, a firm three years ago, and I brought in another partner and another one, so oh, it's growing. Wait, so so give me, give us that name again. Prada Urizar, or Prada Urizar. Prada Urizar. All right, so if you guys... I know there's uh, listeners in Los Angeles. If you need any help on immigration well, stuff... Miami. <laughs> yeah, but you can call. You can, they can call you. Right? Yeah, sure. You can charge them uh, uh, an hourly, whatever. I'm trying to make you money, son. <laughs> not yeah. that you, not that you need me to, but um, but yeah. So he's going to be my guest today. We're going to talk a little bit about immigration stuff since it's all uh, happening pretty intensely. Um, and I'm pretty excited to hear what you have to say. We're going to start off with Miami though, because um, I haven't been in a while. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Miami and how it's changed because I think I get the impression that it's a lot less Cuban run. I mean, it still is, I'm sure. But when I lived there, it was very, uh, they used to call it a melting pot, but <laughs> when, yeah, I moved, dude, it never was. Yeah, when I moved to L.A., it definitely became a melting pot out here, or I definitely saw what a melting pot was. When I got out here, um, I did, did. you know that I looked Middle Eastern? Really? Yeah, a little bit. You did, but you I like see that. <laughs> I, I, everybody yeah, thinks I'm Persian Hispanic out here. people. Yeah, but that makes sense because like, because a lot of Arabic guys look Hispanic too. That's the thing. Yeah, no, I've definitely met some guys that I thought were Hispanic, and they were like, "No, I'm Persian." And then I was like, yeah. brother, <laughs> you know my plight. Um, but yeah, I mean, Miami's still pretty much like a lot of Cuban people everywhere. Yeah. But I, I think that's going to change, you know, maybe within five, ten years because like they don't have the uh, the wet foot, dry foot thing anymore. You what's, know what I mean? What's that? Okay, so we're going to talk immigration then. So Obama basically took away the wet foot dry foot policy before he left office like in january last year 2017 right okay um so since the 90s anyone who's cuban could uh present themselves at the airport at a land border any entry point even if they get caught like arriving on a boat or yeah. crossing the border and then they were given parole right so parole is like uh a legal form of entry it's not an admission uh which means like 
just stuff that lawyers care about, like for posture and, and like, you know, in the case and all that. Uh, it's a procedural thing. But basically, they're allowed to enter. They get a parole. Uh-huh. Uh, humanitarian parole is the full term. So this is and like then, going back to when my parents came, right? Well, this is since like 96. Oh, it, 96. it worked a little differently. Because like before the 1980, every Cuban would get paroled in as a refugee. Just showing yeah, yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Oh my! God. And then you would get full refugee status. And, and refugees of communism. Uh, uh, That's why, uh, you know, one of the things that I always find interesting is how differently the Cuban American experience is. There's a lot of Republicans. <laughs> oh, it's the complete opposite it's, of everyone else, man. Yeah. Like, Go ahead. Tell me to talk about that. Yeah, or finish so, what you were saying and then speak to that. Oh, okay. So then since 96 until like right before Obama left office, you would just show up at the border and say, hey, here's my birth certificate. I'm Cuban or here's my passport, whatever. And they're like, all right, fine. You get parole and you come in. Right. Okay. So everybody's complaining about, oh, you want open border for these Central Americans, blah blah blah. It's like, dude, the only people who've ever had open border were Cubans, All right. And then, unfortunately, a lot of them are the ones complaining right now. Right. <laughs> so, it's a little well, ironic. Yeah. But, but, I I have my issues with their politics. Definitely. Yeah. It, it, it's, Always uh, have. A lot of other communities, uh, immigrant communities here in Miami, are very. Uh, upset with cubans i guess saying that they're hypocrites and things like that is i mean it's it's true they did have the easiest yeah uh time because all you had to do was present yourself and then in a year and a day you can apply for the residence under uh, the cuban adjustment act yeah which was passed in the 50s or early 60s right and um you know, like, really, at the end of the day, it wasn't about, like, Congress being humanitarian. Like, come on, get the fuck out of here, right? Uh, it was more about international politics because at the time, Cuba was very friendly with the Russians and then, you know, the Cold War and all that shit. So, really, this policy of open doors for Cubans was to, like, deplete the human resources in Cuba, right? Oh, because, I didn't even think of it like that. Yeah, absolutely. So they there couldn't was have another, an army? Well... Yeah, because, I mean, like, how strong is a nation going to be if all their people have to do is cross, like, the the, the sea, the, the sea, whatever, and they're, and they're gone. And then, like, they have a better life just, you know, going to the U.S. There's a good way to, you know, break the morale in Cuba and things like that. It was more of a tactical thing, really, than, uh, like, altruism. <laughs> it's definitely not altruism. <laughs> well, right. geopolitical and, uh, altruism is rare. Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing was, um, like, for the gen- general Cuban, you had to actually show up at a, a port of entry or at a border, right? Uh-huh. So a lot of people would do is, like, you'd get, like, a fake passport and a fake visa, and, and then when you show up at the airport, you're like, ha, I'm Cuban, right? And, and, you, don't, and you never present. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. I actually got a, I did a lawsuit for this old lady recently and, and, uh, to get her citizenship because they were trying to give her shit for doing that in the 80s. Like, what she did, uh, she left, I think it was Ecuador. Was it? No, she was in Panama. Like, she left Cuba and was in Panama in the 80s. And, like, some people sold her a passport uh, and some guy was like pretending to be her husband. So back then they had family passports from some countries. So like the husband would have a passport and it would have like the visa for the whole family. Uh-huh. Right. So she came 
And then at, at, in the airport, like she never had the passport in her possession, so she never presented a fraudulent document to anyone, right? Oh. She never, like, because back then the, the rule is like, oh, it's fraud if you present a fake statement or fake documents to a government official. Right. Okay. So then the trick there is that, oh, you showed it to the airline people in a foreign country. That's not a U.S. government official. <laughs> right. <laughs> but really, that's just a trick. So you can end up at the port of entry. Right. Because at, at the airport, that little area before you cross CBP in, a, in an international flight, you're not in the United States until okay. you cross the, the border point. Right. What so, is that? You know, is that that's just like no man's land? Yeah, like you don't have Fourth Amendment rights there because they're not considered to be in the U.S. yet. Oh, um, shit, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other thing... I never well, we felt so vulnerable. That. Go ahead. Go, well, we do, could get do you into just, that because... We'll unleash you on the people. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the other thing about the border now is that they're taking people's phones and copying them. Really? And, and laptops. Yeah, and like if you refuse, they'll just detain you indefinitely until like you do it. Right, so that that's kind of one of the hot issues right now. And what, under what courts. criteria do they decide that? Um... Well, okay, so like here in, in in South Florida, well, not South Florida, but like Florida, Georgia, Alabama, that's the eleventh circuit for for federal courts, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that was decided pretty recently. Um, by the 11th Circuit saying that, like, oh, you don't have any, like, Fourth Amendment rights in your computer, right? Because, like, they were doing, a, like, a child, a kiddie porn uh, conviction against some guy, Okay. Right? And he got flagged by, like, Hotmail or something, like, hey, this guy's kind of bad. Uh, so when he flew back in, they seized his computers, and, like, they took it and they copied it and everything, right? So he's trying to say, oh, this is an illegal search. You know, you guys didn't have probable cause, blah, blah, blah. Right. And uh, the court's like, fuck that, dude. You're not in the U.S. yet. It's a border. There's no Fourth Amendment rights or limited Fourth Amendment rights. Uh, so, you know, the guy went to prison. Um, but what a fucking, one of the judges. Is it fair to say that this is a sleazeball that ruined it for everybody else? Well, actually, yeah, man. <laughs> because <laughs> when, when you take things on appeal, you know, you have to be wise. You got to look at your facts. You know yeah. what I mean? Like. Like, the Supreme Court, they cherry-pick the cases that they take up, right? Because it yeah. could be, like, a 100 people with the same issue that's important, but they're going to pick the one that's got the right set of facts or whatever so that, like, you know, their holding or, or ruling can be justified, right? Because, like, look, man, look at this extreme set of facts where this guy got screwed, Yeah, you know, because there's no sympathy for the kitty porn guy. Fuck no. <laughs> right? It might be different if it's, like, an 18-year-old kid with, like, his girlfriend's photo or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... just I mean, whatever. Um, so, do it, how, how? I mean, let, never mind. I was going to ask you about how they select a case. Like, do they all have to agree on the on the case? When on which the Supreme one? Supreme Court. Yeah. Well, okay. So, normally you have what's called an appeal of right, right? So the intermediate federal court they have to hear every case. Okay. Yeah. Then there's called like discretionary appeals. Uh, so this is usually like a state Supreme Court or uh, the federal Supreme Court or like, you know, it depends what kind of case you're bringing because there, there's different levels of courts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so discretionary appeals, they don't have to hear it, right? So it's just because they choose to. So there's nine justices 
and four of them have to say we want to hear the case for it to be taken up. Okay. All right. So then a lot of times you get cases like where it happens the most is like death penalty cases where somebody's like trying to say like, oh, my God, you know, this trial was messed up or whatever. And like you don't get the four votes and then somebody will write a dissent like, whoa, we should have took this case up. This is important. This is not right. Whatever justification. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that, that's just how it works there, because if they were forced to hear every single appeal as of right, like nothing would ever get done. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it would be impossible. <laughs> All right. So, um, you know, at least just in our point in history now, because it used to be like mandatory appeals a long time ago, at least 100 years ago. But yeah. anyway, back, back to Cubans. Right. So generally, you would just show up to the border and be like, hey, let me in. I'm Cuban. All right, here's your parole. You come in, right? And then before the 80s, it was refugee status, which is a big deal uh, for a lot of reasons. But, uh, you know, that's just too much detail right now. Uh, And then, like, between 1980 and 1996, it was just, like, humanitarian parole. Case by case, they'll decide to let you in. Okay. But in in 96, it was just a blanket, like, if you're wet foot, dry foot. Like, if you get your foot on the land... It's dry. Yeah, exactly. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't know if that let more people in or or made it that less people could get in when that policy was in effect. Yeah. Because I think probably beforehand, if they caught you in the ocean, they would still bring you in. Right? Because I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I'm not too sure. I mean, I've met a few people that they got interdicted. And then they're taken to, like, Guantanamo for a few years and then brought in. <laughs> the worst part right? of the country they left. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it, it's kind of odd because I've seen it a few times. I don't really – I'd have to dig through newspapers, you know, and, yeah. and figure out what was happening back then. But, you know, they would take you to the military base there, and then after a year or two, they'd bring you in. Yeah. Uh, so – I think maybe wet foot, dry foot was kind of like, okay, dude, if you don't make it on the land, you're not coming in. Yeah. Right? Now, getting back to this being a thing of, like, international political strategy, uh, there was something called the, the Cuban medical parole. So if you were a doctor and you're Cuban, mm-hmm. you could go to a consulate anywhere in the world and, and they would parole you in, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so that was very different because... Versus having to actually make it to the border, either at an airport or or through Mexico or whatever. Like many Cuban doctors, they would go to Spain, right? Because they're Spanish. Yeah. And then they would get the permission to enter as doctors. So what was the point of this, right? It wasn't that like, oh, doctors are vulnerable compared to like Cubans as a whole. It was like, let's fucking take all the doctors from Cuba. (laughs) Yeah, like a brain drain. Yeah, exactly. Or or like a resource drain, right? Because... Not necessarily a brain drain, but like a resource thing, right? Because every country needs doctors. Yeah. And if this country is not like obeying our hegemony, uh, one way to hurt them is to take away the doctors they need because we'll just let them come in at will. Like they don't even have to like have the dry foot. They can, you know, get the permission and then fly in. And the other thing Uh, that's, that's telling about that is also that there's a lot of people that can't get into the country or that get into the country from other, uh, you know, Latin American countries and they don't work as janitors, but they have like the credentials to be doctors, right? Oh yeah, a ton of them. I actually have some clients from I think El Salvador 
that they were doctors. Yeah. And then, like, they got targeted for the war tax or whatever because they had a business. Uh-huh. Right? And uh, they had to leave. <laughs> you know, or they would be in a grave right now. So, I mean, this one thing, like, like Cubans, unfortunately, many are, are mean, I guess, because they're like, oh, we're refugees, you know, we're fleeing from, like, horrific things. And it's like, first of all, dude, it's not that bad compared <laughs> to, like, Venezuela, okay? Yeah. Like, if, if you want to be consistent here, right, like, Venezuelans got it worse. Like, that is a, a communist refugee, right? Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, it's... It's even worse in Central American countries. Like, dude, that shit's like Syria right now. Like, like one of the arguments I like to make is that these are failed states uh, to, to qualify, like, under the Convention Against Torture. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it doesn't work because the moment a judge agrees that it's a failed state, that basically... Setting a precedent. Know, means, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, not necessarily. I mean, it could, right? But, yeah. like... It's not binding precedent, but then that, that kind of means that, okay, this judge thinks that now everybody can get in because if you can show it's a failed state, then, like, there's no protection from the state itself, and then you could try to get your, your convention against torture and things like that. So um, I, want, I do want to get to the um, basically the shit that's going on now because, I, I mean, it's like it, – it falls under the category of news that I can't read in too much detail because it's just too much of a bummer. But, uh, you know, the separation of families. But I, before we get to that, I also, like, because I kind of feel like, I don't know, like, I, 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 over here, I have, like, a real big divide between my the people that I work with and then the people that are in the art world. And most of the people that I know in the art world are just end up being white, you know? Um, and I, like, have a hard time sort of really communicating to them, like, that our experiences are different. You know what I mean? Oh, okay, I got it. And, and so... I mean, of course but, they are. But, but, but like, here's a, th- a situation where, like, you know... And, and again, I, I wanted to talk about Cuba first because we are the... Um, I think that, like, racism against Latinos gets downplayed quite a bit, especially by white people that are that tend to be more liberal. They're uncomfortable, sort of. Like, there's a de- generally an attitude of, like, oh, we've come so far and we're so sympathetic for you that, like, we kind of don't have to try that hard. <laughs> well, okay, like, it's true. We have come so far, like the United States. Yeah. Uh, like, they're not lynching people as yeah. often. <laughs> you know, things like that, like... Uh, you know, there, there's civil rights laws and things like that, but like, that doesn't mean that everything's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. You know? Well, and I think, that, I, I think that the outrage that people have to this situation is pretty intense. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with like, just realizing that there is a dehumanizing thing that happens that maybe, you know, like it, it, it falls somewhere underneath the in urgency of like a Black Lives Matter situation, but there are definitely like I think that you know like I don't know I I I, I it's it's an interesting situation that's happening, um, and and I but I also want to ask you like why do they call Obama the deporter in chief? 
<laughs> because he is. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, and based on raw numbers, he's deported more people than any president. By like how even much? now, by how much percent? Huh? Like percentage, a rough percentage. You, you, I, not binding. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really like dug through the statistics where I can actually give you a number percentage. But like, but that's the the, the, the that's the situation. He deported more people than anybody. Of what? And uh, like any right particular now, race? The, the number of huh? Any particular race? Hello. Hello. Can you hear me? Well, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm here. All right. I'll, I'll get into that in a okay. moment. Like, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. How go did ahead. that happen? Okay, uh, but so today we're like at a 10-year low in border crossings. We also have like a 10-year low in arrests, right? Uh-huh. So I think part of that is people got scared from all the rhetoric. So like maybe they, they think it's, you know, more a hopeless situation, right? But yeah. uh, the reason why Obama was so effective at deporting people was because he had a sane like priorities policy, right? And then this is where people start complaining about DACA and things like that, right? Because with Obama... Sorry, what exactly is DACA, just if we're going to talk about it? So DACA is uh, somebody who's deportable legally, right? Because they don't have status or they already have a deportation order. Uh Or or for whatever reason, they're deportable, right? They don't have some sort of status that protects them because there's many, many different types of status. And this is like ancient Rome, okay, the way we're doing all these different... No, seriously, because... No, no, like, I, uh, I know you mean that when you say it. That's why I'm laughing. You amuse me. <laughs> With, yeah, you, you're you're, no, the, seriously, you're like the cynical a, a person. Law, like, like a common law, right, like English uh, law traditionally, like there was no such thing as different status. You were a subject or you were like a denizen alien or whatever, right? Uh-huh. So... Here we have all these different levels of people who are allowed to be here, and depending what level of status you are, your rights change and all that. It's very much like, like a, a Roman concept, yeah. you know. But at least we don't have slaves anymore, right? <laughs> so, um, but you know, you got tough situations. So, like, let's say DACA, you're at the bottom of the food chain, right? Uh, because what you have really is deferred action. And deferred action is just like a temporary uh, classification or really an exercise of discretion where we're not going to enforce against you specifically, right? Yeah. So it's not a status. It, so nobody with DACA has a status at all. They just have deferred action, which is like a free pass for time being, right? Um, okay. Which is like so, we're not going to prosecute you. Yeah, exactly. Like – uh, it's just they're, they're, they're exercising prosecutorial discretion to not enforce against that specific person, okay. right? So the deferred actions existed for a long time, and, and the first time people learned about it was when the government was trying to deport John Lennon, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, okay? When and was this? he took his case in the 70s, I guess? 70s, okay. Well, you know, back when the Beatles were subversive uh, activities, yeah. right? So, uh, like, somebody did, like, a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, and, and they found out about deferred action, uh-huh. um, which is basically, you know, the government's like, okay, this guy's not a priority. We're not going to enforce, right? Because it's resources or whatever, humanitarian reasons, whatever it may be. Okay. Right? So then... The thing with DACA is that that was just a across-the-board kind of 
declaration that, hey, if you fit these categories, you know, uh, if you fit these requirements, then you as a class of people get deferred action, which is really what was controversial about it, right? Because that's supposed to be like a case-by-case determination, uh-huh. right? And then when you, when you start making class-wide benefits like that, uh, that usually requires legislation or at the very least like uh, APA rulemaking. And who's the one that uh, put? The, who's the one that did DACA? It was just uh, uh, executive fiat, basically. By who? By Obama? <laughs> it was, uh, by yeah, by okay. Obama. He, he did an executive order, right? And then it, it got applied through uh, the policies. Um, so, the the argument of why DACA itself was an illegal program is because, at the very least, if you were going to do something of that nature. Uh, you have to do what's called uh, APA rulemaking. So there's something called the Administrative Procedure Act, uh, which governs like uh, governs executive agencies. And uh, you know, the story they tell us in civics class in school is that Congress makes the laws, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's an incomplete story because <laughs> okay. part of it is uh, what's called the the regulatory state or uh-huh. the administrative state, uh, right? Or the the agencies, right? So this is something the Republicans love to complain about, but only when it's in favor of their policies. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, what happens here is that administrative agencies, whether it's Department of Labor or immigration agencies, Department of Homeland Security, DOJ, they're allowed to write rules in the, uh, in the Code of Federal Regulations. So oh. part of this, yeah, so these have the force of law. So then you have executive agencies making laws in the law. Wow. So that's, right? that would so, be like the permanent state, essentially. Yeah, I think that that's one, one word, that one way it's described. Uh, or like the shadow government, like some people sh- will say, yeah, right? Yeah, because yeah, basically these are unelected people writing rules that have the force of law, right? So it's not very democratic at all. Yeah, uh, but this is part of like late 1800s progressive theory that we need to have experts instead of elected officials making rules, right? Because yeah. you know the experts know what they're doing, but then what happens is that there's no accountability, right? So, yeah, so then that's you get... the trade-off. <laughs> oh, and then you have a change of administration, and all of a sudden, you know, look what happened to the EPA, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So uh, it, it lacks permanence. There's a lot of like issues constitutionally, like with separations of powers, uh, which like Justice Gorsuch, the guy that Trump put into the Supreme Court, he's very big on that. On what? And on the separation of powers problem, because it's like, dude, like, what are you guys doing? You're not the legislature. You're not elected. You're not the democratically elected legislature. Like, there has to be limits what, on, on, what, um, on the rulemaking. So that sounds like a positive thing that this guy has is am i misinterpreting what you're saying or is that well like at least in immigration cases it's positive okay yeah yeah, (laughs) right because before he got put in the supreme court he he did a pair of cases when he was in the 10th circuit uh denise robles and and, uh gutierrez something Uh oh gutierrez brisuela right so these cases were awesome because like these people were applying for residence like based on a ruling from the federal courts there and then the agency part of the problem is that agencies kind of have a way of overruling the federal courts 
mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> which is really bad news. It's a Supreme Court case called Brandex yeah. that allows for that, right? So uh, the, the, the Immigration Board of Appeals, the BIA, the Board of Immigration Appeals, they, while these people were eligible and had filed in time, while their applications were pending, the BIA changed the law and overruled the circuit court, right, the judicial court. And then they're like, ha-ha, too bad, so sad. We, we changed the law while your application was pending. So Gorsuch is like, no, <laughs> this, is a, this, is, this is bad. You can't do that, right? Like, That's interesting. Like yeah. Right, so he, he, he did like a retroactivity analysis and separation of powers and, and all this. So he's like, you, you know, you can't do that. So that's actually opened up the door for a lot of great arguments over here. And then when it's like Justice Gorsuch, this like super conservative guy, that you're relying on for that idea, you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it makes a lot of immigration adjudicators kind of like tense up. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man, we, we, we got to take this seriously, right? So, yeah. you know, so, I mean, he's done some pretty cool stuff for immigration. Like, I remember what Trump they- got really pissed over this aggravated felony case uh, because he carried the torch of Scalia and was like, dude, these laws are vague. Like, they don't give any proper notice to what this means. Yeah. All right? So, but whatever. That's a, there's two sides to every story is basically No, yeah, well, here. I actually don't know anything about Gorsuch, and I'm, uh, but I am surprised. You know, that's not what you, he- you, you hear about the administration, that, that he would uh, uh, appoint somebody that actually did something good. Because basically he helped immigrants come in, right? <laughs> Well, more like help people that are already here keep their status or okay. like allow them to rely on a ruling that allowed them to like get their green cards and, and other things, man. Like, because the thing is, like, the conservative agenda, right, is like, oh, limited government and the government shouldn't have the power to like screw people over yeah. and things like that. So then, really, are you going to be intellectually honest about that? <laughs> right? Like, are you going to apply that? in a situation where it kind of hurts your, your policy causes or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like your, your moral outlook, like or it's that it's value pluralism. And then which one is going to win out? Right. Yeah. yeah. So the the good thing about Gorsuch is that he's intellectually honest. Okay. (laughs) Right. Even if he didn't like the results, because it helps some person that he doesn't want to be helped out, let's say. Okay. Uh, he's still going to reach it. And that was right. the same thing with Justice Scalia. Like, he was the guy that wrote the decision that you can't criminalize flag burning, right? Oh, wow. That, I didn't yeah, know that. And he, yeah. Yeah. And he was very upset. <laughs> like, right, if you read the opinion, he's like, these guys are fucking despicable. But, like, you know, the First Amendment is what it is, and I'm going to stand up for what it is, right? So... Okay. You know, so, yeah, I mean, they're also really mean in, in certain situations. Like, uh, you know, we start talking about 14th Amendment, uh, substantive due process and all that. But, like, that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. You know, because. Uh, oh, we'll, we'll have so, you back on to fucking talk about because uh, you're definitely a reader for sure. so um so going back so basically because uh all right so i asked you why uh um obama was the deporter in chief but then i also confused the issue by asking you what daca was and so so like so daca it seems like from daca 
it was controversial because it sort of just let people off the. It was like a non enforcement policy, right? Whereas, well, okay, for, I mean, deferred action has always existed. Okay, and that's a, that's executive prerogative. Like you cannot challenge that. Okay. The 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 the, pro, the thing that people were challenging is that it was like done in a class wide manner, oh. for, rather than on a case by case basis. Okay. All right. So that that argument has a lot of teeth. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because yeah. It, and, uh, and you know I hate to say it, but like they're right. Like this was not the the right way to do it. Right, because um, at, at the very least he should have done rulemaking. So rulemaking, uh, there's something called the Federal Register, and then you're like, hey, I'm proposing a rule. Uh, we're inviting the public to comment, and and then like you got to go through the comments and then explain, like why you're changing the rule, right? Okay. And, and you know if they had done that, like there would have been no controversy. Okay. But that would have taken a long time. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So and, and then it's not Obama sitting there doing the rulemaking procedure it's the guys in the agency that are unelected that are unaccountable you know <laughs> so yeah who knows what would have happened down the road so uh, but, but what he did, what did do he that do for other things but what did he do that that, that got him the title to de- uh, deporting people like what kind, was there a, okay. a specific order that he did or you know so i mean i'm priorities. ignorant priority enforcement okay so there were memos that came out that started grouping people because DACA is just an extension of the priority enforcement, right? Because the, the, the thing is DACA gave you work permits, okay. right? If it wasn't for the work permits, nobody would have a basis to, to complain, right? So, so people got that, act, act, granted ability to work in the country yeah, while they were deferred. The work, okay. Yeah, because the work permit, is a, it's a public benefit, right? So, <laughs> you know, that it's awful to say that, that like people don't have an inherent right to work. It's a benefit to be allowed to work. Yeah. Right. Right. Because employment is in commerce or whatever. Whatever. Anyways. So that, that's another story. Uh, so they they did priorities, uh, and he said we're going to focus on criminals, mm-hmm. right, and, and like fraudsters and things like that. But like there was a tiered system of enforcement. Go after these guys first. Okay. You know. So if you got a day in court, and there's 50 cases. Right, and you're doing the the call up, uh, the the calendar call, um, and you're the prosecutor, and you're like, shit, we got to take all these cases to trial. Let me look over these cases. Oh, we got some kid in university, he never been arrested. Clean, clean, clean. His parents brought him in. We're gonna drop the case, Your Honor. Well, they're gonna admin close it, uh, just to take it off the docket, right? And uh-huh. then they're gonna concentrate their resources on the criminals, right? Okay. Like the ones with actual convictions, not the ones that have been charged with driving without a license. Okay. Right. So then, uh, those cases are usually easier to win for the government, because if you have certain convictions, you're not eligible for certain types of like defenses, right? Mm-hmm. So. What do you mean, are eligible uh, for certain types of defenses? Oh, like okay. l- like that I'm here for a certain kind of reason. Well, in, in immigration court, like step one. Is this person like if you're the judge, right? Uh-huh. Step one: Is this person in front of me like deportable on um, whatever accusation they're they're mounting, right? So then you can challenge that and like, no, he's not deportable, blah blah blah, for whatever reason, right? Uh-huh. And then once you establish deportability, they're like, okay, what relief do you have, right? Can you apply for some sort of application, like a waiver or part, you know, which is sort of like a pardon for immigration purposes. Mm-hmm. Or like, let's say, oh, you're here, like you overstayed your visa, 
but now you can apply for residence, so you get to apply for the residence in front of the judge or, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's various forms of relief. Um, but as you have crime convictions, you start becoming ineligible okay. for relief, right? So if it's a really bad crime, you're basically not eligible for anything except for, like, a, ba- a, a type of asylum. There, there's various types. Um, so, you know, that's why it was so efficient because they concentrated on the, I guess, the least sympathetic community or class of persons, the ones with the criminal history or, like, egregious fraud. Um, and then, you know, just the way the law set up, they're, they're, those are the easiest ones to deport in terms of, like... Oh, wow. So it's not necessarily a sinister thing that he was deporting. He was, like, or how do you feel about it? You're the, you have more expertise. Yeah, some people see it as sinister, like, oh, man, he should have been giving amnesty to people. But, like, dude, there's a system. Like, Congress made up a set of rules. That's what it is until you fix it, right? Yeah. You know, um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of shitty situations that are, you know, you feel that it's unjust. Uh-huh. Uh, but at the end of the day, a lot of times people brought it on themselves, unfortunately, man. Like, you know, who, who told you to commit an armed robbery? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know things like that. Like, uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of like situations that are just sad, but like. No, well, I had never, uh, I yeah. never understood that angle of it. Well, because you hear the term "deporter in chief," and that's not necessarily like it doesn't. Well, it's have, accurate. It's accurate, but it's it, it, it. I didn't know that. Like, it was a system of prioritizing to deport people that did things that were bad, right? So. Um, it's a little yeah, bit no, more, more gray. Efficient. Yeah, it's an efficient gray area system. I didn't know that. Fascinating. So then, then what? Then the, what's happening now, right? Okay. Everyone's a priority. Period. Oh. There is, there are everyone, everyone. The little old lady who's been here for sixty years and owns a house and unfortunately has no status at all, but like is with cancer and shit. She's an enforcement priority, right? So everybody. <laughs> So the system's not even efficient, like, on a basic level. No, it's not, because then what happened is that the the enforcement agencies got to waste resources on cases that they normally would just let go, right? (laughs) And then, like, these people who normally wouldn't be priority, they tend to have more defenses, so then it takes more government effort and time and and resources to, to... get the conviction i mean the deportation right because then like oh now this guy has an application for the judge and they have a pretty good case so we got to fight the shit out of it and then we got to appeal them and then like waste every resource possible because of like a general policy of opposing everything right jesus yeah that's fucking it sounds that sounds exhausting like emotionally (laughs) well yeah especially for the people that work there yeah handling that caseload must be fucking insane yeah, I mean, for some of them, like, I mean, I'm sure there's a few uh, government officers and lawyers that love it. Yeah. And there's others that, like, damn, this sucks, you, you know, but it's their job, you know what I mean? Like, there, there's a few cruel bastards that deserve to be looked down upon, you know, but, like, the average person doing the job is just doing their job. Like, yeah, I, I, went, I went to an interview recently on this case that I sued about, and, and the officer doing the interview, he spent a lot of time talking about the stuff with the kids getting separated at the border and you could tell that she was upset about it right? yeah and kind of like encouraging me and asking me like hey are you suing about this 
you, you know, like you should, because right? <laughs> because with that whole kid uh, separating the families and all that, that like there's no law that requires that. Yeah, it's just discretion. Like they've always had the discretion to do it or not. They just didn't because that's fucked up. so so, you know that that's the truth about it like yeah they always had the power to do that but like they didn't because you know like the 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 thing with immigration law which is really weird for law generally is that there's just so much discretion in in the enforcement officer Uh like an, an insane amount of discretion like there's situations where you could see that the where the immigration agency has more power than the immigration judge. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it's really an inquisition in, in many aspects, right? And there's a lot of immigration judges that complain about this, and they want like an independent court system, but it's not independent because it's they're not even ju- judges, like judicial officers. They're executive officers. Wait, uh, so I'm uh, this is like dense and heady for me. Uh, paraphrase what you just said. So. One of the complaints about the immigration court system is that there isn't judicial independence, like in the way that, you know, the American project is supposed to be, right? Because, like, oh, we have three branches of government and the the judiciary is independent and, like, they they have life tenure Uh and, like, you you can't, like, change their wages, right? (laughs) Things like that. Okay. you know, because those are ways that you you affect oh, the independence so you, of a judge if you can like fuck oh, with, their, with their income. Shit, dude. So they so in immigration court that they, they can do that to the judge. Oh yeah, they can fire them at any time, right? Wow. And, and so so one of the things Jeff Sessions is doing is these quotas that like you have to complete seven hundred cases a year or something, Whoa. and when you start taking out federal holidays and weekends. It means that they got to complete at least 3.5 cases per day, Whoa. which is humanly impossible. <laughs> Whoa, right? like, dude. Yeah, so then, like, what happens is that I, I think the plan here, because that's what it seems to me logically is the, the end game, is that every judge is going to be non-compliant, and then you have a basis to fire any one of them at will, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is... Uh, dude, this is so fucked up. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, no, don't stop. I, I, I'm trying right. to get out of your way as you keep talking. All right. So, and that's not something that's never happened before. Like during the Bush era, uh, when uh, Ashcroft was the attorney general, there was a, a series of events that were called the Ashcroft purges. Right. So basically they kicked off all the, uh, the liberal members of the Board of Immigration Appeals. They all got fired. Right. And there was actually only one of them that was kept on staff and like they kind of had them in this obscure like non-job to see when he would quit and eventually they, they put him as a trial judge uh-huh. i mean if you you google it you'll figure out who he is and he's a great guy but like you know i don't want to say any names yeah, yeah. but um so and I, and I think he's written articles about this uh, because all the former members are, are really upset about that shit <laughs> you know so you know so that's what's going on now but it like even like more tactical like it's just like more extreme Uh, and and because now like with these case quotas right um it it makes it that every judge is non-compliant right because that's just physically impossible to 
finish that many yeah, cases yeah. every single day of the year, right? So then, you know, I'm sure we're going to start seeing judges get fired eventually, right, because they're not doing their job. And then uh, here's another interesting thing. So in immigration court, you have the trial judge, the immigration judge, right? Then you can appeal to the Board of Immigration Appeals, and those are the executive agencies, right? Uh-huh. And then after that, if you still lose, you can file a petition in, in the federal court to review the agency action, right? And then theoretically, next, you can get to the Supreme Court. Um, but there, there's another tribunal, which is the attorney general himself. <laughs> okay. So when a case is at the BIA, the attorney general can certify the case to himself and start overturning uh, administrative precedent, like precedents of the uh, of the BIA, the Board of Immigration Appeals. Okay. All right. So, at any point in time, the Attorney General, who's Jeff Sessions, okay. can snatch your case in front of him and change the law, right? <laughs> All right. So, and and hurt your case. And he has been doing this a lot right now. Wait, what? All right. So for real, this is not like theoretical. He's like, it's practice. Oh, I mean, like, look, Eric Holder did it a few times, uh-huh. but like for like wide policy change. I mean, whatever. Like, I disagree with a lot of things he did too. Uh, but Jeff no, Sessions I mean, is taking this to a new level. Like, right, he's got a ton of cases. He's overturning stuff that like threatens the independence of the immigration courts. He's overturning things in asylum law, making it extremely difficult now for people to get asylum, and, and just like basically ruining and making things worse. <laughs> wow. right? Like in a horrific way Like I, I think Like yeah we hear all the stories Of what CBP is doing CBP you know, is what? The border patrol Okay Right so The separation you know, of we, family stuff right? Yeah and, and it's egregious and stuff like that But like What Jeff Sessions is doing behind the scenes That no one's reporting about Like that's just as important if not more Right Yeah uh, So and then the only people that know about it are the lawyers <laughs> trying to figure out a way how are we going to appeal this thing, right? Um, so it's a huge disaster, dude. It, it's really bad right now. You know, so good thing the Supreme Court comes in every once in a while and short circuits this shit because uh, there's a great decision that they made like two weeks ago that uh, people are really fighting over right now and it's the new hot thing because uh, theoretically it could just short circuit the whole system. But, what, uh, what was the decision? Basically, uh, it's a very procedural ruling about the charging document and what it's supposed to have in it, right? And they basically said that, like, yeah, you guys are supposed to put, like, the hearing date on this notice to appear, and you haven't been, and that's a deficient charging document. Uh, wow. So, yeah, that, that affects, like, something like 700,000 cases. Uh, and so are the cases now dismissed because of that? Well, that's the huge battle right now. Everybody's, like, fighting that. Like, oh, we got to dismiss these cases or, or restart them and, and all this. Uh, so that's really, for the last two weeks, what every immigration attorney has been, like, buzzing about. <laughs> right? like, like, Did you um, hear? <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah. I'm getting emails every day, like, new arguments that people are hearing and, like, reporting what the judge in Virginia did or the judge in California Whatever, right? So, uh, and I'm sure DHS is doing even more efficiently because those guys, 
they they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. All right. The, the the attorneys. All right. That, that is one very well ran office. All right. So then DHS is what? A, Homeland Security. Okay. So they so, have really good lawyers. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's a lot of sub agencies. So like within Homeland Security is everything immigration. Uh-huh. Uh, you have CBP, the Border Patrol. You have ICE, which is internal enforcement, like uh, domestically. Uh, you have the Office of the Chief Counsel, which are the lawyers that are doing the cases. Wow. And then the immigration courts are DOJ, uh, Justice Department. So then they're they're all like employees of Jeff Sessions right now. Wow. All right. So, yeah. So it's just executive courts with the executive uh, law enforcement agencies on you. Uh, so, I mean, it's kind of what I was complaining about earlier that like, there's no independence for the immigration judges and a lot of them want it, Yeah. but Congress is not going to do it. Right. Why not? Like what's the political, uh, baggage associated with doing that? Well, I guess you giving more process to the immigrant, the immigrants. Right. Okay. Uh, that's probably part of it. The other thing is in 96, they passed a lot of like overhaul and uh-huh. one of it was uh that gave the immigration judges the power to sanction or hold parties in contempt right so they never passed a regulation to implement that law because the it's basically why is doj gonna allow one doj employee to put another one in, in contempt because <laughs> back then before dhs came in 2002 everything was doj uh-huh. Right. So, so, you know, that's kind of one of the things like, oh, we're not going to have one executive officer putting another punishing another. Right. Yeah. That seems to be the the uh, the awkward situation they want to avoid. <laughs> <laughs> but then the trick to that is you just make the court independent of the DOJ and make it a standalone, you know, entity. Right. Yeah. Um but whatever. I guess that takes too much funding or something. Yeah. But you know what? Like Congress doesn't get anything done when it comes to immigration. So, you know, unless it's like mini, mini bills that nobody knows about or hears about. What are you doing? Are you sanding furniture right now? No, I'm in the backyard uh, watering plants and stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just wanted to give the listener a visual. Uh, yeah, so. of, the, of a lawyer doing his gardening while he's talking to his friend on his podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so what? Like, okay, if you let's just say I give you, or it's not even hypothetical because I am going to give you. Like, what is the one thing about immigration law that people don't know, or just all of this, or whatever, however you want to frame it? Not necessarily immigration law, but something that you have access to, particularly related to what's happening now with Jeff Sessions and all of that shit, like, what do you want people to understand about what's happening that is being missed in the broader story of, of uh, which, not, which I, obviously we're not minimizing that, but you, like you said, that's what gets the attention, the separation of the families, but it seems like what you're saying is that that's only one in a handful of horrible things that are being done. Like, which do you think, it, what do you think is like the most important thing that's happening right now that will have long lasting effects? Like right now we're, go, we're seeing a lot of the effects of um, the Bill Clinton years, right? And I feel differently about him now than I did while he was getting impeached. So like, yeah. what, what, what do you see happening 
in the future that uh, that we may not be necessarily like the example there would be in Glass Steagall being repealed. Like what's happening now that's gonna that we're gonna look back on and be like, yeah, that was really fucked up. Okay, like so in terms of long term effect. Yeah. Um, what Sessions is doing by taking certifying cases to himself and changing the case law. Uh, that that's gonna take decades to fix, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like that that's that's seriously because then you gotta take things up on appeal to the federal courts, and then you gotta give every federal court an opportunity to speak their mind on it before the Supreme Court comes in, or maybe we have to wait till a new Attorney General comes in to reverse all these problems, or Congress and things like that. Like that that's the stuff that really takes forever to fix. Because I mean, even to this day. We're still fixing the damage that the Clinton era did. Yeah. Right. Because, like in '96 and '97, uh, there was the Anti-Terrorism Effective Death Penalty Act, and then the uh, Illegal Illegal Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. Right. So these were the major overhauls to the system that changed everything, uh-huh. and have done phenomenal damage. Phenomenal right? damage. <laughs> yeah. Like, the best thing you could have is a case that's so old that it's under the old laws, right? Oh, really? <laughs> that's, that, yeah. yeah. That's grandfathered like someone's in. Co- yeah, like, somebody's conviction from the 80s, like, it's so much easier to fix that. You know what I mean? Or, like, somebody that you reopened the deportation order back in the old system with the old rules. Like, you got so much more advantage. There's a lot more procedural rights and fairness in there. Uh, so, like... You know, it's only now that a lot of these things are getting fixed yeah. or interpreted in a, in a limited way by the Supreme Court. Like, uh, like the the one that Trump was complaining recently that the Supreme Court let criminals off, right? Uh, that was about the definition of a crime of violence, because mm-hmm. uh, the statute that they wrote back then. Uh, had two different clauses and one of them is like if the crime that you had had an element of violence right and, and I'm, I'm dumbing it down it, it's a yeah, yeah. it's a more formulaic kind of a expression uh, but like you know it would have to be a crime that necessarily involves violence every time and then there was something called the uh, the residual clause uh-huh. which basically says oh if it was the type of crime that like had a substantial risk of violence or whatever, right? And, like, what the hell does that even mean? It, it doesn't mean <laughs> anything, right? So uh, that also existed in, in the Armed Career Criminal Act, which was, like... Um, <laughs> just that you, name. <laughs> yeah, it sounds really bad, right? So but the, it's just, the, like, it's cartoonish, even. Car- career criminal, <laughs> armed career criminal. Yeah. Like, I guess, like, the idea of defining... Crime as a career. I mean, I like. I'm sure that my definition of that is very different. Like, I would think that would be like a mafioso, but I'm guessing that they're just talking yeah, about you would, yeah, exactly. poor black kids. Yeah, exactly. You hit yeah. it right on the head because <laughs> it's not like organized crime mafia yeah. dons. It's like people who have three convictions in the past, and what and what happens? It's a gun control law. So if if you're a felon in possession of a firearm. Right. And then uh, you have like three like classes of conviction, whether it's a drug crime or a violence crime or whatever in your past. Then what happens is that instead of the trial judge having 
the discretion to sentence you anywhere between zero and ten years, there's a fifteen year minimum mandatory. Jesus. Yes, for possessing <laughs> a gun. Okay. And, and uh, but wait for, for being a go so ahead for being a felon, basically with and a gun. having a weapon. Yeah. yeah. So then, for straight possession, like they didn't even have to use it or anything. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so yeah. then. Depending on, on your, your criminal history, you get 15 years automatic, right? Like, there's no discretion to go under the 15 years. Wow. So, so uh, this had a similar clause, the residual clause, that the immigration courts have, like, when saying that you're an aggravated felon uh, for crime of violence. And uh, the Supreme Court was, like, dealing with that for a decade. Like, what does this mean? And trying to define it and give it limits. Wow. And eventually, Scalia kicked in and goes, dude... This is void for vagueness. There's no notice of what the hell this, this criminalizes or, or what it punishes. And, and, like, we can't allow this. This is unconstitutional. Right? Wow. So then that was first with the Armed Career Criminal Act. And then there was another, like, sentencing guidelines case on the same theory uh, that had a different result. And then it was the immigration court uh, version of that crime. And then Gorsuch, he was the fifth vote, right? Uh And uh, to make it uh, unconstitutional. So crimes that, like, don't have an element of violence that some judge would arbitrarily say is a violent crime when the judge next door would say no, because that's the problem. When there's no proper notice and it's vague, it it creates the opportunity for arbitrary enforcement, Uh right? So uh, Gorsuch, it, it was Justice Kagan and, like, the four liberals... Like wrote the main opinion, uh-huh. and then Gorsuch went even farther, <laughs> right? So, so that that was actually the fascinating thing because, like, his decision was more liberal than the the traditional liberal justices. Uh, well, that's a topic on this show that's that's recurring uh, that that the liberals aren't as liberal as they claim to be anymore, or at least not as progressive. Well, well, liberal is just a, a term of, of relative meaning. It doesn't yeah. have any substance to it. Like, say, well, liberal say, is the rev. Sorry, go ahead. Huh? Yeah, like a liberal is whoever is the revolutionary today. Uh, but when he's the entrenched power ten years down the road, that's the conservative. Yeah. <laughs> right, because it, it, well, the, not necessarily. Uh, I mean, there's been leftist, uh, fascist. You know, there's there's been. Um, I think that like. There was definitely a, a time period where uh, we saw uh, leftist powerhouses that weren't wouldn't be considered conservative, but also be oppressors, right? Well, it, it depends also what country you're in. Yeah. Right. Because like what we call conservative here, as in believing in property rights and things like that, is liberal in Europe. Yeah. Right. So, uh, like, or traditionally here, uh, you know, the the concepts of like. The, the constitution and all that that was super liberal like these were the anti-monarchists mm-hmm. right and they wanted democracy and, and a roman style government with a republic and a senate and all that right and, and federalism yeah so that that was that's what people refer to as classical liberalism in american like political theory but nowadays they're not liberal so, <laughs> right so nowadays right? so that would be in contrast to neoliberal classical liberal well, neoliberals is something even newer, which is uh, basically like the equivalent of neocon, because yeah. that's just like about American hegemony 
in international politics. But whatever, that, that's another story. But like liberalism started changing in the late 1800s or mid 1800s when you started getting the uh, the communists and the uh, the socialists and the progressives. And all three of those are different things. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of people try to equate liberal, socialist, and progressive today. They're completely fucking different. These are different ways of thought. Yeah. Completely. Right. So, you know, part of like progressive theory was this idea of ruling by experts rather than elected officials. Uh-huh. Right. Which is what I was talking about the administrative state and all that. Um, and guess what also came out of progressive theory? was eugenics i know you told me that and it fucked me up (laughs) yeah dude like and then like the original theories behind a minimum wage is so that the the unworthies or whatever the undesirables wouldn't be employed and then they would be stuck in the welfare system and and it was a it was an idea to limit employment to like white males that that was the original purpose between behind a minimum wage well how how did that years ago so the minimum wage would only be given to certain people? Well, it would just mean increasing minimum wages leads to job loss, right? Because every business is going to have a finite set of income or revenue. And, uh-huh. like, it, you know, more wage per employee means well, less employees in total, Well, not, right? It's just not math. Nowadays, that was back in the day, right? <laughs> Well, like, that really plays out with a small business, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, Amazon, like, they make billions and billions of dollars. So, like, you know, I mean, I'm sure once you add it up by the thousands and thousands of employees, it's a huge number. But, like, you know, they they have the capacity to deal with these things. Whereas, like, your mom and pop down the road, you know, they're going to have to fire somebody. Or they got to go out of business because they can't afford it anymore. And so right. that so, so that so the so that's how it was used to keep jobs for whites. Well, the guys who came up with this theory, and we're talking about like early early 1900s, maybe uh-huh. 1800s. Part of the idea was like, all right, this means that like the minorities uh, are, are going to get fired, <laughs> right? Because you can't <laughs> afford to employ everybody. Oh, and the minorities and, uh, will get fired before the whites. I get it. Yeah. Basically, like Charming. not necessarily like merit based, yeah, yeah. but like, I mean, maybe on merit too, like the better worker keeps his job. But then the presumption back then was that the better worker was dependent on race or whatever, race. Right? So, back <laughs> so then, that's huh? kind of BS. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, the, I mean, nowadays it's a little more important, dude, because like the money has no value anymore. Yeah. You know, we're, do you, we're do in you, a system. Uh, do you know enough about the petrodollar to do an episode on it? No, like the, <laughs> okay. for the oil dollar. Yeah, the oil dollar. Because that is. I mean, all that. That's basically why we're fighting the wars right now because countries are saying that they want to switch to. Uh, they want to start buying oil in euros or and other. Um, oh yeah, currencies. And then the U.S. is killed. like, yeah, and then the U.S. is like, fuck no, and so that's why we're invading. Well, yeah, I mean that that's that's Iraq. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> right, because Saddam was pushing that. Yeah. You know, because Saddam had absolutely nothing to do with Al-Qaeda. They were the a- enemies of Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Right? Uh, so that still makes no damn sense, like, why we went there. Right? Especially since the whole weapons of mass destruction thing came out to be a lie. Right? But Yeah, uh, and, and Robert Mueller was one of the people doing that lie, which is funny. He, he's government, man. Like, he's... 
Robert Mueller? Yeah, he's part of that permanent state. Yeah, I mean, but whatever, man. Like, you know, everybody, it, it's like there's no such thing as a truly good person and a truly bad person. You know, everybody <laughs> has a, a bit of both, right? Oh, so you... you Maybe a lot more one you than the other. Where do you stand on the Russiagate thing? Oh, I don't know. I mean, a lot of it's bullshit, dude.